You're listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast, hosted by Josh Wander. Welcome back to the Bring Them Home podcast. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim. Now, I'm not even sure whether I'm going to publish this this, uh, podcast because this is not something I usually do. In fact, I try to stay away from such things. Uh, I was sent by two different people a video. And the video was what I refer to as spy talk. Uh, It was a video that was clearly right out of the um, playbooks of the Maraglim. Uh, And it was entitled, uh, Why One Should Not Move to the State of Israel Today, was made by seemingly an Orthodox Jew in the United States. And he gives 18 different, he, he says, reasons why one should not move to Eretz Yisrael, and I listened to it, and I'm still debating whether or not to publish this, but I'm going to do some you know, quick responses. I didn't do much um, research into the answers to his questions. I think that the, the none of them hold any water in my book. So for me, it's, uh, it's just a matter of uh, you know, commenting on each one as we hear it. I'm going to try to keep a little bit relaxed over here and not... Uh, not that get too excited, but let's start playing his 18 reasons why you should not move to Eretz Israel. Here is my list of 18 reasons why you should not move to Israel. Number one, it is very expensive to live in Israel. Salaries are considerably less than the United States ones. There are some medical professionals in Israel currently earning the equivalent of $15 an hour while in the United States they would be earning $50 or more per hour. There is no mitzvah to put yourself in a situation of requiring handouts. Moving to the whole... Okay, so his... You know, often when people make arguments and they want to make them sound like they are reasonable, they mix in a little bit of truth with a lot of falsehood. So the last statement he made is actually a correct statement, meaning that there is not a mitzvah to come to Eretz Israel and to live on handouts, to be on welfare. Uh, if one is able to uh, sustain his family in a respectful way uh, in Chutzlaris, and if he were to come to Israel, he would be starving, then clearly that is not a mitzvah to do, and one has an, a temporary excuse until one is able to to hold off on moving to Eretz Israel. That having been said, his first claim is ludicrous. I know personally a family that moved from the United States uh, several years ago, and he's making three times what he made in the United States here in Israel. There are people that are making very respectful salaries here in Israel. I am reminded of a famous story I may have told over before of my Rebbe, Rev Herschel Schechter, who says that he was on a plane coming back from Eretz Israel, and he's sitting in the coach class, and someone from the first class he describes as wearing a T-shirt, jeans, and uh, no socks, 
walks by him and stops and says, Shalom Aleichem Rebbe. He says, Aleichem Shalom. He says, do you remember I was in your shear, you know, so many years ago? And he didn't actually remember who he was, but he said, he said, you know, what's up? What are you, what are you doing these days? So he explained this uh, first class person explained that he was on his way back from Eretzral because he is moved, he moved, he made Aliyah with his wife. Uh, and he moved, and uh, it didn't work out, and now he's in the process of moving, of making Yeridah, moving back from Israel. So my Rebbe was curious. He said, well, what happened? What, what, what went wrong? So he said that, you know, we moved to Sevyon. Sevyon, for those that don't know, is probably the most affluent, uh, one of the most affluent uh, communities here in Israel. He moved to Sevyon. Uh, with his wife, and uh, you know, he and his wife are, are radiologists, prominent radiologists, and uh, in the United States, he was making he and his wife approximately two million dollars a year. And he says that uh, we moved to Israel, and we could only afford. We only made around six hundred thousand dollars a year, so we really couldn't afford to live here, and we're in the process of moving back. So my, my Rebbe jokingly says that he felt so bad for me, wanted to pull $5 out of his pocket to give it to him so he can buy a pair of socks. Uh, but in truth, he explains that that is not, clearly not, what the Rambam meant when he stated that one, for Parnosa reasons, uh, can temporarily live outside of Eretz It does not mean that instead of making $2 million a year, you're only making 600000 What it means is that if you're going to come to Eretz and you're going to be a burden on society. You're going to live off of welfare. You're not going to have a respectful uh, parnosa for your family. Then that is a legitimate temporary excuse to live outside the country. But for most people, that is not really an excuse today. People live very nice lives here. May not be on the same exact standard of living in Gashmius uh, that one lives in Chutzlars, but clearly you can live a very respectful, nice life here. You, there's there's uh, plenty of, of jobs out there. People have to be flexible. My number one advice to anyone making Aliyah is to be flexible. If you come with this uh, rigid idea that I this is what I went to college for and this is what I trained for and this is my, uh, as we say in Hebrew, my maslul, this is my track, and I'm not willing to veer off from it. So it makes it a lot more difficult. If you're flexible and you studied as a uh, as an attorney and you're willing to, you know, be a professor of law, or I'm just throwing that out as an example, um, you're willing to veer off of your track because another opportunity comes comes about. Um, then you will be much more successful in finding a parnasi here. Let's continue and hear what he has to say next. Your land will assuredly leave you with many holes in your pocket once you settle there and find out the reality. Number two, the Israeli government stopped issuing many incentives that were always given to Olim Chadashim. Number three. Okay. Uh, it could, I, first of all, I haven't done my research to know the, that's not my specialty and not my expertise to know all the logistics of Aliyah. Um, over the years, the packages that are given, the, what's known as the sal, the basket of uh, of uh, rights and 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 uh, things that one is eligible for when make, make, one makes aliyah, has changed uh, for better for worse. It changes back and forth depending on where you're coming from and what your situation is and what what's happening in the country. Different governments uh, the, clearly that changes over time. Uh, what I can say, as far as this, again, I'm not an expert. What I can say is that I made Aliyah uh, over three decades ago. And when I made Aliyah, there were no support groups. There was no Nefesh Benefesh. There was no, I was a lone soldier. There was no support groups for lone soldiers. 
And uh, and Baruch Hashem, I had an incredible aliyah. I cannot complain at all. Uh, there are people today that have certain expectations, and they expect things to be given to them, hands out handouts, uh, the nefesh benefesh, whether it be the you know these organizations, uh, support groups. They expect things to be done for them. Uh, I didn't grow up that way, you know. When I when I moved here, and I think that most people that moved here more than a couple decades ago had no expectations or little expectations, and uh, they were able to do it on their own. And today, unfortunately, there's so, the expectations are so high, and it's a bracha. There's so much shefa, there's so much abundance in Eretz Israel today. It's not like moving here a few decades ago where people were bringing suitcases full of things over because they're just you couldn't find things in, in this shuk, in the marketplace here. Today, you can find Baruch Hashem, everything here. There's nothing. In fact, there are many people that bring suitcases back from Eretz Israel because there's things you can't find in America. So because of this bracha, because of this shefa, the abundance that we have here, so standards have changed. And, and for the positive, people are living on a much higher standard than they were in previous times. But along with that, ch- things change as far as aliyah. And, and people have new, new expectations, different expectations when it comes to aliyah. Yes, I'm sure that the, the actual rights that one gets when, when one comes here changes depending, like I said, on the government, depending on different policies, changes. But if that is the, your reason, if you're coming here to, to to make a quick buck off of the state and you're coming here because you think that uh, um, your expectation is that someone is going to do it all for you, uh, then you know what? That it's probably not for you, anyways. I, I, I'm sad to say that there are certain things that uh, you're going to have to do yourself. And uh, if you're willing to do it, if you're many, willing to make that sacrifice, then it's well worth it. Anyone who has made a successful aliyah can tell you. Let's continue. Three, in Israel, you will pay for health insurance, known as kupat cholim, but will soon discover that you need to pay cash or have private insurance to get the same level of care you receive in the United States. Okay, Kupat Cholim, uh, health insurance. L- let me just uh, start with the facts. The facts are that the taxes uh, here in Israel are higher than they are generally in the United States, and that is because there is somewhat of a socialist system when it comes to education, when it comes to uh, insurance, medical insurance, so you pay more into the government, whether that's good or bad is a separate debate, but you pour more into the government. It actually works well here in Israel. Um I'm not sure it would work like this in the United States, but here it's a small country and certain things work that wouldn't work in a larger country. And uh, you, since you're paying more into the system, you're getting more back from the system. So, for example, uh, you, like I mentioned, the, the, the uh, health insurance that one gets is uh, subsidized by the government subsidized, meaning that you pay into it a, a, a portion of your taxes uh, through Bituach Lumi, through the national insurance, and you get back everyone in the country, is every Israeli citizen in the country is insured uh, for medical. Now, there, in addition to the, the basic medical um, coverage that you get, there are options that one can choose to take or not. It's, it's up to you uh, to go to higher levels of, uh, of insurance. Um, we have chosen, my wife and I are both in the medical field. I volunteer. She's a, she's a critical care nurse, so she does it as a profession. Uh, so we take it very seriously, and we have volunteered to go to the highest level of the Kupat Cholim, um, 
and again, it doesn't matter which which uh, clinic that you join. Each one has these this tiered level. You have the basic that's covered by, like I said, the government taxes, and then you have the tiered level to go up from that. Um, it's, is it necessary for most people? Probably not. But you know what? You never know. Like any insurance, when you need it, so it's worthwhile. We pay what I consider to be compared to American standards, bubkas. Um, we're paying. Um, maybe a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars a year for my entire family. By question, we're a family of eight. Um, for that highest tier, um, I don't think that that can be compared to what you have to pay in the states for medical insurance. I'm sure everybody can attest to that. In fact, they had had to pass a law, um, not so long ago, to discourage Israelis that moved away. That made you read that, and, and then all of a sudden uh, came down with a serious ailment. Um, some sort of illness that they would they would come back to Israel and be a burden on the system because they would come back just to, in order to take advantage of the free health insurance that you that you have here. Um, so, you know, what I take with a grain of salt everything he's saying here to me it's it's ridiculous. I said there, there's other things like tuition. Um, you can't compare the tuition Jewish education that you're getting. Uh, in Chutzlars and what you're paying for that compared to what you're paying here. Again, it's subsidized. Most of it, most places are subsidized by the government, um, including religious schools and ultra-religious schools. Let's continue to his next point. Number four. In Israel, they can confiscate or freeze a bank account for a mere 100 shekel debt that is owed. Okay, I don't know if this is true or not. Again, I haven't done my research. I'm not an attorney. Um, but I could tell you that there is such a concept of, in Israel of having bank accounts frozen. Um, does it happen often? I, I, I don't know too many people that it's happened to. I know a few people that it's happened to on occasion that have gone into debt. Um, the debt system and the bankruptcy system is definitely different than, than in the United States. But, uh, but those that are not in, in serious debt and don't have to you know, pay their bills then they don't have this to worry about. Um, but if someone doesn't pay their bill, then there is an option of the courts um, taking taking uh, a, a lien off of your bank account and, and, and taking that money or, or freezing the money. Um, and there's two sides to any coin, right? There, there's, the, there's the debtor, the person that's in debt, and there's a person that's owed the debt, um, so for some, from somebody from the other side of the coin, that somebody that is owed money, and, and I've been on on I've had the fortune or disfortune in my life of being on both sides of this coin. For someone who's owed money for somebody like in the United States and has a judgment, I, I it's taken me um, decades to get money, any money out of someone that I had a judgment against, even though they I knew that they had the money to pay. Uh, and here there is a system in which it makes it a lot easier for the person that's owed the money to collect. Again, whether it's good or bad could be debated, but if that is your reason for not to come there to Israel, then I think there's something strange going on. Let's continue. Number five, you will be taxed heavily while your income will be much less, yet the cost of living is equivalent to expensive cities in the United States. Okay, uh, let's address this. So like anywhere else in the world, uh, real estate and the expense of living usually goes by location. So 
uh, the places that are more expensive are the metropolises or the areas that are most uh, urban, where where most you know the centers of the city, the, the country. You know, whether you're talking about here in Israel, um, Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Haifa. You know, the main cities like you have in the United States. If you live in New York City, you're going to pay higher taxes. You're going to be paying more for property um, than if you were to live in the boondocks somewhere out in in the Midwest. That's just the way the world works. Um, the fact that we have equivalent prices to uh, major American cities just tells me that there is such a demand because supply and demand is what creates the price. And if there's such a demand to live here, then obviously that's going to raise the prices of living here. And it's true. There is an, ex- an incredible demand for Jews around the world to move to Eretz Israel, Baruch Hashem, and that uh, unfortunately for those latecomers, uh, they have to pay more for that. Um, as far as your income is concerned, again, depends on what you're doing. Some people in high tech are making uh, many times what they're made uh, in uh, the United States. For most, to be completely honest and 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 uh, uh, upfront, for most jobs, you're going to be paid less than you would in to the equivalent salaries in America. Um, that having been said, uh, number one, uh, like we said earlier, a lot of that money is going into a, a system which is paying you back. So you're going to be getting, just keep, you know, you want to calculate that you're not going to be having to pay if you have a big family and you're sending them to Jewish education in the States. You're not going to be paying a fortune for tuition. If you um, pay a fortune in medical insurance in the States, you're not going to have to pay that fortune. Again, there's the supplementary uh, clinics, which costs a little bit more. Negligible amounts of, that we're talking about, symbolic amounts of money. Um, so overall, I, I don't see this reason. And, and, and the biggest re- rebuttal to this is the fact that if you're coming to Eretz Israel for money, then you're probably not coming here for the right reasons. People come here for the ruchnius, for the spirituality of being here, the fact that Hashem told us that this is the place where we're supposed to be, where the destiny of the Jewish people is. We are meant to rebuild the country. And like I said, looking at history, the Gashmias parts, you know, the physical has actually gotten better over the years, much better over the years. It's getting better and better. And uh, you know what? That's, there's a certain thing that we sacrifice on the, on the physical side for our spiritual benefit. Let's continue. And if I'm not mistaken, they even tax your Social Security Okay, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. If you're bringing Social Security from the states, I don't think it's taxed. Definitely, if you're making up to um, a certain amount, I don't think you're taxed on it. Again, I'm not an expert. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a, a CPA or anything to discuss this with. Um, if you're talking about Social Security here through Bituach Lumi through the national insurance, I don't think you're taxed on that either. Although, I, again, I don't know if you're taxed or not. To me, again, that shouldn't be a reason to or not move here. But, uh, you know, for some people, maybe that's a big deal. Number six, in Israel, when you buy property, you must pay a purchase tax. And when you sell it, you pay a sales tax. Even when you're renovated, you pay an improvement tax. Number six. Okay, taxes, like I said, there are ta- I, I don't know whether, whether he's, what he's saying is correct or not. Um, I'm not an expert on, on tax law here in, in Israel. Um, there are taxes here, like there are everywhere in the world, uh, in, in places where you're getting more benefits from the government. Again, we can debate whether that's a good thing or not. Uh, but in places where you're getting more benefits from the country, you're obviously going to be paying more taxes. 
and those taxes have to come from somewhere. We do have a VAT, which is a 17% flat tax on things. Um, one of the things that I think is cool here, unlike in the States, which most people who grew up in America are used to this, is you go into a store and you see the price of something and then you have the taxes added afterwards. So, you know, you, let's say something costs a dollar ninety nine, and all of a sudden you get to the register and you have the state tax and the local tax and all those things, and it costs more than what the actual price tag originally said. So here we don't have that. When you go into a store, the amount that's written on the on the uh, shelf is what you're actually paying after the taxes are already included into it. Seven. The state of Israel is hostile to the ultra orthodox. The government promotes gay marriage, allows for the sale of pork, and the public desecration of Shabbos. Oh wow! You know, it, again, when you when you just you, if you spew uh, sheker, if you spew uh, uh, falsehoods so much, then people will start to actually believe it. Uh, the government is not anti-religious. Whether there are some anti-religious people in the government, that's uh, undeniable. Um, we have uh, what to correct here, and that's why we need more good people to come here and to to help the to, you know correct the system. But that having been said, um, no, it is not it is not an anti-religious um, government. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, they actually subsidize many of the religious uh, education here in the country, as well as many other religious affairs that go on in the country. There's a whole ministry of religious affairs in the country. Um, I can go on and on about this. The, the, even the things he mentioned are completely untrue. Um, they, they support gay marriage. No, actually, if you you are gay in Israel, you cannot get married. Um, you would have to. Many of them that want to get married have to go outside. There's international law uh, mandates that if you get married outside the country and then come into the country, the country has to recognize it. That's something else. It has something to do with international law, not with uh, local uh, Israel uh, laws. Uh, but no, you cannot get married. The Rabbanut does not recognize gay marriage. Um, there is there are laws in the books. Again, I'm not an expert, but there are laws in the books about about pork, about uh, having pig farms here. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think it's legal to have pig farms here. Pork you almost never see. Um, definitely in in Jerusalem. I mean, there may be some places where you have um, you can buy it. And I know that there, there are Russian immigrants, many of which may have not been Jewish, that are still looking for pork to eat. And I'm, you know, like I said, you can find anything here if you're looking close enough and you want to pay the right price for it. But it's not something that you would see. You would go into a, a supermarket, an average supermarket in Jerusalem, or even Tel Aviv for that matter, and find pork sold in the in this store. It's not. You know, most most things here are kosher. Most things are here kosher, and uh, and uh, they have some sort of hechsher. Again, we're not going to go into the old details. Some, you know, some are more reliable, just like in the states than than others. Uh, but you know, you'd, pork is you know, you know, no, definitely not uh, not a reason not to move to Eretz Israel. Um, and the other things also, it, it, we're gonna. I think he continues on, so we're gonna. Well, let, let's let's hear what else he has to, what other falsehoods he has to spew over here. The hatred of the authorities towards Haredim is palpable in countless online videos. They are now beginning to draft religious girls against their wishes and imprisoning those that refuse. Okay, uh, more falsehoods. Uh, you know, I have. Uh, there is a inter, there is a national draft in Israel. Let's start with the the true stuff. There's a national draft in Israel every. Um, 
every eligible male, female at the age of 18 is drafted, is required to draft into the Israeli Defense Forces or to choose some sort of, uh, in, in certain circumstances, some other sort of service, national service. Um, I have uh, two of my daughters so far have gone through the process uh, in high school of getting what's called a patur, an exemption from the army. As a religious girl, um, one is not required to do the army. There's a special laws in the book that uh, that uh, that uh, allow religious girls to get out of the serving in the army. It's pretty simple. Um, you go down. I'll tell you this: the, the whole process takes about a half an hour to an hour. Uh, once in your lifetime, you take your daughter. Your daughter can go by herself here. It's very safe. You go to the the rabbinate. And uh, you go in front of a dayan, in front of a, a Jewish judge, a religious judge. Uh, they may ask some questions about religion, um, and they ask, you know, why you want a patur. And uh, basically, they sign a document, an official document from the rabbinate saying you're a religious girl and you want an exemption from the army. I think it costs 20 shekels, you know, like five bucks. I don't remember what it cost. It wasn't uh, anything, any serious amount of money. Um, you take that that paperwork to what is known as the Lishkat Agius, which is the um, the uh, draft office, and you submit that paperwork. Sometimes, and with one of my daughters, they are called back into the draft office at a later date to verify, to confirm that that is actually what you want to do, and that you're actually religious. Their 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 concern is that there are people that are trying to get a religious exemption that are just uh, faking it and are not really religious. So they'll ask some religious questions to make sure that you actually know what you're talking about and you grew up in a religious home. And uh, subsequently, they will send you a, in the mail with two weeks later a letter which gives you an, a permanent exemption from military service. Now, that having been said, I have another daughter that chose to go that route and to do what is known as Sherut Lumi, which is a national uh, service. And instead, you get all the rights of military service, but you don't have to serve in the military. Instead, you, you do a, a year or two in what is known as national service. You get to, to, to choose where you want to go. Um, you can drop out at any point, um, and you work basically um, in a hospital. You work with special needs kids like my, my daughter did or you whatever. Some of them even go abroad and are ambassadors and representatives of the government for B'nai Kiva or different uh, youth groups. Um, there are a lot of options available for religious girls if they choose to do it and they want the benefits of having done military service without doing military service. But no one, let me repeat, no religious girl that is bothered to spend an hour and 20 shekels is forcibly drafted into the army. Doesn't happen. I'm sorry. Falsehood, 100% fake news. Number eight. In the state of Israel, you do not have freedom of speech. If you dare to speak against the government or its directives, you might be jailed. There are countless attorneys that were jailed for merely speaking up in defense of their client. Okay, more falsehood along the line. Okay, this is crazy. Uh, anyone who knows, okay, I, I, let's compare it first to the region. Okay, we're talking about a region in the Middle East which things are work differently. There's no question about it here in the Middle East than they do in the in the Western world. Uh, but here in the Middle East, by far, by far, Israel is the most democratic country. They're one of the. We don't have a constitution. Instead, we have what is known. We're working on a constitution for the past seventy years, but we have what's known as the basic laws. And one of those basic laws, which is equivalent to the constitutional law, 
is the freedom of speech. And that has been upheld by all courts, including the Supreme Court, the High Court of Justice here in Israel, over and over again. Um, the freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, even he, during the times of Corona now where people are not supposed to be congregating in mass, um, there is a freedom of demonstrating. And that is one of the reasons why you can be uh, out in public in large groups in order to have demonstrations. And you see there are actually demonstrations against the government, against the prime minister, almost daily, if not weekly, um, with Hundreds, sometimes thousands of people coming to these demonstrations for different reasons. And uh, like I said, th- to say that that freedom is, of, of speech is, is squelched somehow here in Israel is totally being ignoring the fact that this is the freest society of anywhere in the region. And I would even argue that in, especially in today's day and age where big tech is censoring the president and other people in the United States, that is probably much freer than it is in America. Number nine, unlike in the United States where a police officer must have probable cause to stop and search you, in Israel there are a multitude of authorities who can stop and question you without any cause whatsoever. Okay, uh, again, I'm not an attorney. I can tell you that that is incorrect, <laughs> but uh, from, from personal anecdotes and knowing a little bit of what's going on in the, in the news, um, the authorities, okay, let's, again, let's reiterate that we are not in um, Sweden right now. We're not in Switzerland. We're not in a place that's neutral and there's nobody fighting and there's no conflict. We are in a war zone. Unfortunately, Israel is amongst many enemies that are both surrounding the country and inside of the country. And therefore, the security apparatus here has to deal with it. And Baruch Hashem, they do. And Baruch Hashem, they're successful at them. And we wish them only success in the future. Because if they were not successful, we would see terrorist attacks on a daily basis that are Baruch Hashem with Hashem's help. They are um, they are stopped on a daily basis, and that's because there there is a, a reality that you don't have, uh, you don't generally don't feel in the Western world. Uh, that having been said, again, there there are freedoms here, even amongst people that I would consider our enemies. Uh, and, and again, we have Arabs that are in the Knesset. We have Arabs that are Supreme Court justices. We have Arabs uh, in in all different fields, um, and some of them are pro-Israel, some of them are anti-Israel. But to stop someone in the street and just check somebody, yes, there there are random stops, in, in and some it doesn't happen often, but often, but there are random stops, especially in the times of Corona. They're actually stops to make sure. That when there is a closure, that people are actually abiding by the law and not going out. The Ministry of Health decides those, not not the police. Um, I I read an article this past week that the Supreme Court, the High Court of Justice here in Israel, actually uh, gave a a directive to the police, to the Ministry of Internal Security, that says that you're not allowed to be stopped and asked for ID without probable cause. So just even to be stopped, just to ask for your ID, which uh, in the past was the case that you that a police officer could just stop somebody randomly for no reason and ask for ID. Today, um, the court has ruled that that is not uh, constitutional. Again, we don't have a constitution, but that is not um, acceptable with uh, with the laws. So. No, no. I don't think that anybody has to be worried that they're going into a Gestapo state, police state, where people are going to be stopped and asked for their papers wherever they go. That that doesn't happen. Number 10. The state of Israel discriminates against men, especially in divorce matters. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop here, and there, I'll tell you what, the reason why. 
Um, and it didn't take me very long once I was sent this video to do a Google search on the person, the author of this video, and to find out that he has a long history of, uh, of issues with the state of Israel. This is not coming out of the blue. He has a chip on his shoulder. He has issue, he had marital issues with giving a get. He refused to give a get. Um, he, afterwards, he had an issue with his uh, the the the, uh, the state of Israel refusing to bury his mother until he gave a get because because his his poor wife that didn't get a get was was stuck and couldn't remarry. I'm not going to go into all the details. It doesn't even matter. The truth. The point is just to say that his next uh, several I. Points are go on and on for maybe um, another five minutes. I'm not going to go through them all um, about issues with the with the with getting married and with um, and with uh, divorce and how it is with the court systems here and how um, women have all the rights and men have no rights. Um, again, I'm not going into detail here. For most people, this is not relevant at all. This is definitely not a reason not to move to Eretz Israel. He seems to make this as as a primary reason because this is obviously his um, vendetta that he has against the state. Again, this just shows probable cause for him making such a video in the first place. And he, I think he finishes off after all these crazy uh, accusations about uh, about the courts and 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 marriage and and uh, the discrimination between men and women. He finishes off talking about uh, his last point. I think is about Corona and uh, about how we are forcing people to uh, not leave the country or not to come into the country, and we're forcing people to wear masks, and we're forcing people in closures. Again, for someone like myself or my wife who actually works in the critical care unit, in the corona unit, in one of the largest hospitals in Israel, these steps are not taken lightly. These steps are taken for the public welfare and, and the public good, and again, it may be a foreign idea for Americans that uh, are given certain freedoms that uh, that you may not have here. But again, that's for a good reason. And here, I, again, I, I have a lot more trust in the government regarding uh, public health than I do in the United States even. Uh, I know that uh, generally they are on our side. I have I, worked with them on, on a, a military-civil co- collaboration with trying to stop the spread of the virus here in Israel. Um, in many ways, we are more successful than, than almost any other country in the world when it comes to those things. In many ways, we're still failing, and, uh, it, it is, and the virus is definitely an enemy which we are taking very seriously. And we are trying our best to save lives, and that's the bottom line. Uh, we we care about one another. Uh, we are Am Yisrael here in Eretz Yisrael. We are a nation uh, that is uh, that is dependent on each other, and we care about each other's lives, and we we do everything our our utmost in order to save lives. And sometimes that is very inconvenient, and many many times it's it's very inconvenient uh, when it comes to how to uh, balance. Uh, public health policy and the virus. It's complicated. It's something which, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I'm not the prime minister that has to make these decisions on a day-to-day basis. But uh, but there are, it is true. It is true that we, we do have these closures uh, and we do have uh, mandatory mask wearing. Uh, but that is for, again, the public good. I feel that that is something that is saving lives and I have no problem with that. I think saving a Jewish life uh, as Chazal say, is like saving the entire world. And I'm proud to be in a country that takes it seriously. 
And with that, I will conclude. Again, I'm not sure whether I'm publishing this or not, but I had to get it out there because these things were bothering me that somebody could so uh, unabashedly get on the uh, on the social media and say that Eretz Israel is not the place for Jewish people to be to be for uh, all these reasons, which, like I said, most of them are completely false. Even when there's some truth in it, you need to take it with a grain of salt. So, you know, again, I'm in the process of trying to rebut some other things, uh, and we get a lot of feedback, pro and con. I'm happy to hear your comments. If you're listening to this, if you like this podcast, I, I often don't ask um, for anything in return. We do this completely free voluntarily. But if you want to support this podcast, the way to do that is to go to um, anchor.fm. That's actually where it's hosted. And to go to Bring Them Home, which is the name of the podcast, to find and Josh Wander, to find me. And you can actually sponsor the podcast. You can sponsor it one time. You can sponsor it monthly for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help support this cause um, to support our hard work in order to try to inform and educate Jews around the world of the importance of moving to Eretz Israel today. Thank you for joining with me, and I look forward to uh, entertaining you and, in, and educating you in the future. Be well. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Bring Them Home Aliyah podcast. If you identify with our message, please subscribe and tell your friends about us too. You can leave us a review on iTunes as that really helps us grow. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. For sponsorship opportunities and for all other inquiries, please email us at bringthemhomeisrael at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.israeltorah.org for more content on this vital topic.